Welcome to the Mentor's Memo Podcast with Dr. Robert J. Watkins. You may know Robert's story. He was born an orphan and handed over to an inner city orphanage. But for the last 25 years, Robert has embraced his calling as the empire builder and mentored millions of people around the world. And he can mentor you. He's authored several best-selling books, including Never Chase a Paycheck Again. Robert is also the recipient of the United States Presidential Lifetime Award. His mission is to mentor you to uncommon success. Here's Robert. Okay. Okay. Hey, welcome to One on One with Robert Watkins. You know, I thought it was necessary to continue the conversation regarding finance and and race in America. And I want to keep the conversation going because, you know, a lot of times when we have these conversations, we get desensitized. And, you know, just several weeks ago, protests were all around America regarding uh, Black Lives Matter, regarding the, the, the murder of George Floyd. Now, I'm concerned if we don't address these issues uh, regarding economic, spiritual, uh, and financial issues, that they're going to fade away. But instead of me just coming on and talking and teaching like I normally do, I, I wanted to bring in a friend of mine. And I want to introduce you to this, this great brother. He's a senior pastor. He's the author of uh, the book of you. He's a speaker. He's a retired NFLer. We're going to talk about that as well. He's an adjunct professor, and his name is Terrell Fletcher. But he's also his greatest accomplishment with all of that. He's a father of twins, recently married. And so, Terrell, welcome to One on One with Robert Watkins, man. How are you? I'm so grateful to be here, man. Thank you so much for having me on. This, I, I'm, I'm so excited. It's the highlight of my month. Well, you know, one thing I left out of that intro, man, you made the, one of the greatest decisions of your life when you became a member of Kappa Alpha Psi, the bond. <laughs> well, the Lord works in mysterious ways, but he always has a way of steering us in the right direction. Yes, he does. He does. Well, man, I, I asked you to come on and um, man, we've been friends for, for some time and um, Reva Timms introduced us, my fiance, <laughs> and um, and you came to Kings and Priests some years ago and you just blew us away. We had hundreds of men there that night. You flew in, man, and um, you did a great job. Tonight, I want to talk about a very sensitive subject, finance and race in America. And it's two brothers who have uh, experienced a lot uh, around the world with many different cultures and races. Um, I, I've been abound and I've been abased. I know you you had money and and, and, and not, and, but we, we have similar experiences. I want to take this time to, to ask some questions of you. And the first one is, man, you gave a speech in San Diego uh, representing the clergy out there. Um, and you got very emotional about what was happening with the Black Lives Matter. Can you tell us, you know, what does this movement mean to you? What's How has this affected you? And then we're going to talk about some solutions and how we can make sure it doesn't affect brothers who are watching. Excellent. You know, that, that speech that you saw was, um, it, it was birthed out of a backroom conversation of a consortium of um, clergy that are here in San Diego. And it, and it birthed out of the idea of asking our white clergy members why they've been so silent. And 
uh, so we pressed to have a press conference and wanted to talk so that we could show some solidarity between largely African-American churches as well as the white churches in the city. And in that conversation, I, I started to get choked up because I started to think about my son. Now, my, my son, my twins, they're seven months old, eight months old uh, in a couple of days. And uh, it was natural for most people to kind of feel like I was I was tearing up because of my newborn son. When in reality, it was a culmination of almost a 30 year experience. You have to almost take this story back to 1990 when I was a junior in high school and I was coming from a party with a group of friends of mine. We were building racial lines in St. Louis, Missouri. So we were in a neighborhood that wasn't black. It was an all white neighborhood. And when we got pulled over, we were pulled out of the cars. We were thrown on the sidewalk and we had police officers knees in our back, in our necks. They roughed us up quite a bit and then told us that if we didn't get out of the neighborhood, that they would knock a tail light out and take us all to jail at night. I remember, I, I know what that feels like. I know how shame, how much shame that gave me. I know that that just took all of the, the innocence out of the pit of my soul and out of my stomach. And to, to bring this up to this moment, watching George Floyd laying on the street, it just brought me back to that moment. And while I'm bringing this speech forward and while I'm trying to share with them the heart of what it means to be African-American and how the problem is, is generational and systemic as it related to police reform, um, um, I saw a world where if it wasn't taken care of, yeah. my newborn son could be George Floyd, who, is, who essentially couldn't be me 30 yeah. years ago. So yeah. it, it hurt my heart because I did not necessarily in that moment um, see a way forward. And we've got, and so we have to have these dialogues. We have to have these conversations because it is a part of my life goal um, to not have an America like the one I grew up in. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story. It's, it's very moving. And I know, you know, how has that affected you, that, that story, you know, as a young boy, as a young man coming of age with big dreams, how has that affect you? And, and, and for those that are watching now, uh, we're going to come up with some solutions before the end of this broadcast. Uh, but all the successes that you've been able to overcome, has that story always been in the back of your mind? And how have you been able to carry that onto the gridiron, uh, into the boardroom, into the pulpit, uh, into into the government sectors that you've been able to infiltrate? Has that affected you at all? Brother Robert, yes. You know what that did? It it gave a silent statement in the recesses of my psyche that told me that I was only as good as the kid who's laying in the ground with this cop's knee on his neck. Like that kept playing over and over and over that this is who I am in this world. Wow. Too many people that I'm no more than this little black kid yeah. thrown in this, in this front lawn. And what this is, is it's a consistent story of proving to myself and proving to the world that I am somebody, that I matter, that my voice matters, and that millions of young African-American boys like myself, they matter as well. So, you know, I'm able to take these kinds of um, 
scenarios and able to speak about them with real experience, but also with empathy concerning um, families that have been through it, the young men and women that uh, may be literally in the bustle. And I try to give language to it so that it can be uh, resourceful and helpful on the other side. Well, man, you, you, we applaud you for not allowing it to, to, to press you and to keep you back and to keep you at home and, and, and the blame game that a lot of brothers and oh, yeah. that are watching this, that uh, it, it just takes them out of society. It takes them out of the game of life and takes yeah. them out of, you know, familyhood. It just, it just yeah. takes them out mentally and emotionally. Let's talk about, uh, before we get into these four or five points, you've got some, we got some confusion out there on this movement between Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter organization. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some people are describing that, well, I, I subscribe to the, the Black Lives Matter small BLM, but the Black Lives Matter organization. Yeah. Uh, let's speak to both of those issues and just get your thoughts on, on, on that. Um, and then let's get right into this. Well, here's, here's the, the way I approach this. At its central and at its core, Black Lives Matter, capital BLM or lowercase BLM, whether you're part of the organization or a part of the movement, at at its core, there is a sense of uh, that we all buy into the idea that that to be African-American or to be black does not diminish your humanity, that we are God's children. We deserve um, rights. We deserve equity and we deserve to be presented, projected and received as human beings under the creation of God. I think we all believe that. Now there are differences. The organization has a creed that it operates under. The organization um, is, it's a very youthful, millennial kind of driven, idealistic driven um, organization. So I think the heart is big, even if in certain spaces, the language may make it difficult for the general public to buy into. And it won't be because of the Black Lives Matter part. Yeah. It'll just be the general philosophy. So, but at the same time, here's my defense for them. Uh, my defense is that I don't want semantics right. to create division. The reality is that we know that right now, the preeminent issue that we're discussing has to do with the value of black and brown lives uh, all over the world. Yeah. And I don't want I don't want to you know spend too much time trying to break down the movement versus the organization because uh, at the core of it we all know where we're getting at we're getting at yeah, absolutely absolutely and where we're going with it yeah <laughs> well I think the conversation is starting to be raised to a conversation about humanity and eventually we have to raise the racial. Um, issue to humanity to where we begin to see each other. Um, you mentioned about systemic racism, and I know a lot of my uh, investment brother, um, Caucasian brothers, they, they don't see any systemic racism. They don't understand the, the mortgage issue that can we can be left out, or uh, starting a business and getting business lines of credit. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about systemic racism. And how can we overcome that? Because all of us are in some sort of system. If you're buying a house or starting a business or starting a ministry or trying to lead something or, man, just trying to get an apartment. I'm just trying to live. I'm just trying to get a credit card, a car, so I can get back and forth to work. How can I overcome and what have some things that you have done to overcome systemic racism 
that traditionally has locked out our grandparents and great grandparents. How have you been able to navigate within that or around it? Let's talk about the real solution. Yeah, I think a couple of good things that I've had, and I can't wait to really dig into some of the solutions for this. One, a couple of the things that I had working in my favor was I had a village of, of people. My father, my mother and father, though they were not highly, highly educated, they, um, they, they studied the world and they understood that there were systems that were operating, there were systems that worked for certain groups of people and against others. And if you can understand the system, then you can navigate your way through the system. If you give me a second to explain this, uh, I think people miss the power of system. Systems, a system allows a couple of things. It allows you to reproduce a product, reproduce it relatively quickly, and reproduce it without much brain power. So for some of you that may have worked at McDonald's or worked at a fast food restaurant growing up, you understand the power of systems. The only way that McDonald's can get you a number two by the within a minute of you going around the drive through is a great system. Within that system, the people work in it, though they work hard, they don't have to think much because the system makes it easy. Press the red button and not the green button. Pull this forward instead of push it down. As soon as you hear the beat, take the fries out. It takes all the guesswork out of it. Yeah. And they can produce what they can produce an item in about a minute and a half because of the system. Now, when we talk about systemic racism or we talk about um, uh, anything that's systemic, it's the same process. It's the idea of a bunch of different cycles working to produce an outcome. And if we can challenge these systems, if we look at the outcome and the outcome always includes white homeowners and not black homeowners. If the outcome includes black people going to prison and not white people going to prison. If the outcome continues to include an African-American dead at the end of an interaction with a law enforcement officer versus other races, then we can see that there's something wrong with the system. Yeah. So um, where our non-black brothers say, hey man, I don't get what you're saying about the system because I work hard just like anybody else. That's not the issue. The issue is not a matter of the energy and the effort and the work that you put into it. Um, and, and we could really go on a tangent with that, Robert, because the idea that poor people and non, non-white people are lazy and don't work hard is a misnomer. In fact, right. if you're if you're poor and in poverty, there's a high probability that you work two jobs and not just one, which means you're probably working harder than the average guy that only has to work eight or nine hours a day. But the idea is that if we if we understand that these systems operate and we have a few different layers, one layer of people that are fighting to have the system reformed or demolished. One of the two, either reform or demolish. The yeah. other area is to have people like you, people that are educators, that understand the way money works, understand the way that school systems work, understand the way that law enforcement systems work. For guys like you to educate the general public so that we can navigate our way through being in financial tools, educational tools, other various types of tools um, that we can employ so that uh, we can navigate our way through the system while another group is is doing the legislative work, um, doing their part. Guys like you are doing your part. And then there are guys like me 
where we we challenge the morality of it all. Yeah. Guys like me, we push the undergirding of the morality of it all. That that legislation would show equity and not just equality. That yeah. as you are educating, you're educating all that have a heart to learn, to listen, to absorb. And and the learner, even for the learner, that the learner understands that there are some principles that are going to take discipline for you to put in place. And you can't blame the man if you don't want to work. So, well, let's, let's talk about that because, you know, I, man, you said a whole mouthful, man. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> but, but, but I'm hearing you saying that we all have a part to play. Mm -hmm. What God has called me to do is to educate financially and, and how to navigate through and around the financial system. You're challenging the morality of the system. And the people that are watching out there, they may challenge, you know, in other areas. You just have to know where it is that the, the challenge. And I'm glad you mentioned about uh, the finance. And I want to read something to you, according to the Brookings Institute, and just regarding the disparities between Black Americans and white Americans when we talk about systemic racism. And it says that the average Black and white families the, the average net worth of the typical white family net worth is $171,000, nearly 10 times greater than that of a typical black family, which the net worth is $17,000. This is just last year. Yeah. Right. So there's some gaps in between white and black America and our households in terms of the how we accumulate wealth and assets. It can't be just what you said, all hard work and and going to school, because right now we are more educated black men and women than we have ever been in the history of America. So why is the disparity in wealth? And it just can't be we're lazy. It can't be we don't want to work. It can't be that we don't understand economics. I would say that we do. But a sinister in this system. Brother Robert, so much people struggle to understand how many tables a guy like you are qualified to operate in. Like you're qualified, you're literally qualified to sit on a bank board. You're yeah. literally qualified to sit on a hedge fund board. You're qualified to sit in places that can change the tra trajectory of a generation of people. Not just you and your family, a generation of people. Yeah. We are not included to sit at these tables regularly enough. Yeah. When there, when there is no representation of people in your plight, people of your demographic, people of your color, people of your orientation, what have you, when there is no representation of it, somebody else is making decisions for you. So yeah. part of it, is it and, it, and, I, and, and you use the word correctly, a lot of it is very sinister, that there is a, a purposeful exclusion of having faces like yours at the table of the largest banks in the world and the largest banks in America. I would imagine that if there were, a, 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 if there were four or five or six African-Americans sitting at the table in 2008, somebody would have raised their eyebrow and said, how come all the black people are getting these horrible loans <laughs> that we know are going to come due uh, in a handful of years and be back in poverty? But when that doesn't happen, then we just become numbers and we're no longer people. And that's part of the pro that's part of the problem. But 
things are shifting and turning around. Yeah, things are shifting and turning around. Guys like you are not silent. Yeah. Guys like you are, are banging on the door saying, why am I not here? Right. Um, situations like the Malcolm Floyd situation um, open up uh, George Floyd situation. I, I have a teammate, former teammate now named Malcolm Floyd. So sometimes his name comes <laughs> up in my head. But brother uh, Floyd, his his situation it becomes a catalyst for additional conversation. And we've got a moment right now. Yeah, we do. Where we can take advantage and put, insert ourselves into some of these systems so that black and brown voices can be heard. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's switch the conversation now. We begin to come to an end. And, you know, you, you're a professional, former football player, minister of the gospel, an earned doctorate, uh, family man, and senior pastor, businessman now. I can't wait to learn more about the business you and your, your brother started. And there there's brothers that are watching this right now. And they said, well, I can't get to where these guys are. I never played in NFL. I've never been an investment banker. You know, I, I've never... I haven't sat in, in, the, in the tables with presidents or, you know, uh, CEOs. Okay, I can't get to where you guys are. It's very simple. Let's come up with three or four solutions for black people and, and brown people to deal with systemic racism. And from what is the first thing that, that you would say? And and before you give me the, the first answer, I'll just tell you a bit about one of my experiences. You know, when I was 12 years old. Uh, the police came and got me. I was on my way to basketball practice and uh, they came to, to Monroe Junior High School and two big white police officers came and they asked for me and and they, they put me in the, in the police car from school around my old teammates and um, and drove me home. They didn't say a word to me as we began to pull up. I didn't know if I was going to jail or not, but as we began to pull up to my home, I began to see police cars and fire trucks and my house had burnt down to the ground. And um, there I saw my father on the front lawn with a hose in his hand and there was no water coming out of it. And I looked around and nobody was doing anything. The firemen, the, the policemen. And I saw a little chuckle on their face. And, and that's the house that my father had built in an all white neighborhood with the first black. And I remember looking around, I said, Dad, I hate white people. And there's something that he said that shaped me for the rest of my life. Because he could have said, son, all white people are evil. Or son, the system is bad. Or son, the, the system is not built for you. But he said something I'll never forget. He said, son, hate no man. And that, that, that stuck with me. And that, that served me well. And that's why I'm here today. And you have that same type of story. And everybody that's watching... Maybe have that kind of same story. Maybe your house didn't burn down. Maybe you, maybe you didn't get the job or you got fired. So when you have that type of experience, let's talk about some things, some takeaways that you have done that's served you well. Yeah. One of the things that served me well, and you've been a, a big part of this, um, I believe in mentors. I, I, I don't hate on somebody that's further up the stream than I am because if they're willing to help me out, that's how I'm going to get there. And uh, a couple of years ago when Pastor Reva connected us together and I didn't get a chance to say on air, congratulations to you both. Uh, super happy. You guys couldn't have found a better partnership. But yeah. when she connected us and um, I got to learn some of the things you were doing, I was coming from a very difficult period of my journey, my personal life. And I was discussing rebuilding my financial 
future and what that needed to look like, et cetera, et cetera. And you were one of the people that said, man, you should join Priests and Kings, come and be around some really upwardly mobile guys that are moving forward. And it was you that said, are you back into real estate? And at the time, I was not. And I was just thinking, you know, I just, I, I need to do that. And since then, you know, we've picked up almost nine different properties. Um, and I, I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the space I want to be in, praise God. And a lot of it was, is being connected to mentors. And if we had more financial mentors that could help teach us about wealth and not just about money, teach us about wealth, the idea of generational wealth, the purpose of wealth. That's what priests and kings discusses. We don't just talk about money. Guys are talking about wealth. How do you leave something for your children and your children's children? Are you insured for your purpose and your destiny? Is your dream um, insured? Are you connected to the kinds of people that can help you get there? So that's my first solution. Get a mentor. Find a mentor. So so let's stop right there for a second so, so people can take notes. So find a mentor. What's the process for that? I mean, if, if people want to connect with you and, and you're going to find out how to get his books, how to get connect with him on social media, I want you to follow Terrell on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. He's everywhere. You, YouTube, uh, his church. You know, stay tuned. You're going to get all that information. So if I can't get to Terrell Fletcher, can I? How can I connect with you? And so I can so I can download what you're doing. Yeah. What's important, I think, when it comes to finding mentors is uh, mentors don't find you. You have to find a mentor, meaning that you've got to show up in the places where they are. All right. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to to put on your best suit and show up to a priest and king's meeting or another kind of place where don't be afraid. And I say that because for as successful as my life was, a lot of me just didn't feel qualified to be in the room with financial heads like yourself. Oh, man. I'm serious. I used to always view myself as, man, I'm a talent that could generate money. Yeah. But guys like you are guys that can take the money from a talented guy and change a generation with. Yeah. Right. So there was this sense that mm, I belong in rooms with, you know, I mean, you've got like the top real estate, uh, top African-American real estate. Um, uh, uh, but, but, but we need each other, though. You know what I'm saying? You know, we need each other. It's just like, you know, in the bond, you know, we're, we're capitalists, man. We're, we're on the yard, man, you know. And, but something special when we work together. You know what I'm saying? Man, you know, you, I'm looking you know, at a billion dollars on the stage. And I don't, I'm not saying that to brag about it. It was impressive to yeah. watch men that were accomplished who were willing to give it away. They were yeah. willing to, talk, you know, that we had to make an investment, but willing to share and willing to, hey man. I think that's the second the second thing we needed to, to do. Get a mentor, maybe check your heart. Check your heart. Mm-hmm. You know? Because explain, explain. Because now I'm thinking all white people are bad. Or mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never get a job. Or like you, man, I'll never have another career. I, I can never own real estate. You own nine houses. Man, from from nothing, yeah. you know, so so you just needed some inspiration. It was already there, but if you had a bad heart, right? If your heart is full of lust and depression and hatred mm-hmm. because of what happened in the past, listen, I, it'd be very easy for me to hate. They yeah. burnt. They, they determined that the Klan, Ku Klux Klan, burnt our house down. Wow. They determined that. Yeah. <laughs> 
But man, I've been called to love all men. And yeah. and in the face of that, as Martin Luther King has said, man, and I, I see you as 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 that person. So number one, find a mentor. Number two, check your heart. What, what, what's another life lesson? For for me, uh, another really powerful lesson that um, that worked for me was I I ended up trusting God with my environment. Now, this a lot of people are like, ah, what does that mean? I'm a person of faith, and as a pastor, as and long before I was a pastor, I just trusted God, and this is what I trusted. I trusted that He worked in seasons and in cycles, and in certain seasons of my life. It would be time for me to sow seeds and other seasons of my life. It would be time for me to reap the benefit of the seeds that I had sown. So for me, um, I had to trust God with the environment. I sowed seeds. In other words, I invested or I saved money or I put time into people that um, that would be a blessing to me later. I gave out good stuff to the world. And and as life would go on. The markets change or life changes and you look up and you're like, boy, I'm glad I sold into saving because a recession is here and now I can go buy up as much stuff as I want to buy up. Or yeah. I'm glad that I sold into this person because now this person is a city councilman and they can help me get my hotel off the ground or I'm glad. So I learned that the environment belongs so to the So trust the environment. And then something else you just said, you sown good seed. What did you say? You sowed good seed? Yeah, I sowed good, I sowed good seed in the season of sowing. Now, when I talk when I talk about trusting the environment, it's the sense. You just gotta kind of have the sense. You gotta slow your life down enough to know that, hey man, this is the season where I should be whatever sown. Or maybe it's the season, you know, you've gone, gone into those seasons where you look up and it's like, boy, man, I've got opportunity on top of opportunity. And maybe this is the season of reaping what God is, has yeah. for you, the harvest. And you've got to take advantage of the season because seasons start and they end. So you have to take advantage of it. I'm in a seed sowing season right now. I'm sowing all my seeds. I'm being blessing as many people as I can. I'm loving on folks. I'm helping, you know, campaigns. I'm doing it all right now because I'm in a seed sowing. But I, I do understand how the cycle works. That yeah. as the scripture tells us that whatever a man soweth, that he will also reap. The only way I can reap what I sow is that the season turns into a harvest time. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. And that's, that's, that's another good point we're expecting to receive where you have not shown, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. For those, yeah. that's a great life lesson because there's a lot of people who have uh, expectation, false expectations. They haven't put in the work. They haven't sown the seeds. You know, and, uh, you, know what, you, you played in the NFL and mm -hmm. you had to sow a lot of seed, a lot of time by yourself, you know, lifting weights, uh, running by yourself. I mean, you had a coach, you had a great team, I'm sure. But what was the discipline that it, it took? And let's end with this. Let's talk about the, the financial discipline and the personal discipline in the face of immense pressure. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there now that is, let's just minister to those people who are under immense pressure now. Yeah, being an athlete taught me a lot of life lessons. And one of those life lessons was the power of the process. Mm -hmm. Very few people see professional athletes 
in the weight room. They don't see them on the surgery tables. They don't see them in the rehabilitation rooms. They see them out scoring touchdowns and playing on Sundays, but they don't see the process yeah. of what it takes. And and the process is where things are tight, where it looks bleak, where it doesn't feel like you're ever going to get to what you've been hoping for, praying for, dreaming. And some of you watching right now may feel like you're in the process. The yeah. news is saying that. and. This station is saying that you're watching outside and it's, and it's scary. But listen, it's a part of the process. God is in charge of the process. I do apologize. God yeah. is in charge of the process. And part of the challenge is to trust it, to trust that it's working out for you, to trust that if you work through the process, watch this, you're not just going to come out better. But all of the people that melted to your heart in the process will be lifelong friends and partners. People that 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 went through the process with you will be trustworthy and you won't have to worry about who's got your back and who doesn't have your back. If this is a tough time for you, hold on to faith. Keep trusting God. Keep believing and let the process do its perfect work. And you're going to come out on the other side of this and you're going to be amazing. Amen. Well, thank you so much. We, we needed to hear from the bishop on, on this time as well. And man, this has been great, man. We could talk all day, man, just catch up. And uh, one of the great things about social media, we can reach so many people and I can't wait to share this. Thank you so much. Uh, everybody wants to know, man, how they can get in touch with you. Uh, give us all your social capital, man. Talk about your books. Where can we get your books? And uh, let's start with where can they find you on social media? You can find me at Terrell Fletcher. Across all the boards, Terrell Fletcher on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That has all my information. You can also check out my website, meetterrell.com or terrellfletcher.com. They're both the exact same, but you can learn more about um, how to connect with me if you want us for speaking or for um, any kind of seminar training or anything that your company and business may need in the area of uh, cultural competency. We are here for you. You can always call us at the church as well at 619-266-2626 or catch me at the city of hope online.org. But if you find me on social media, you'll get all the rest of them. I promise. Well, make sure you follow him. Absolutely. I follow him. And so I eat up everything that he throws out there because man, you're, 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 you're my little mentor, man. So I'll be the big mentor, right? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny, man, that, you know, how we connect it. And uh, this is divine relationship. And when you have divine relationships, good things happen. And so I just want to sign off by telling everybody that uh, th your best days are ahead of you. Yep. That, that God's perfect will uh, is still active in your life. And uh, God is resetting things. And, and, you know, Terrell, when you have a broken bone, the doctor resets that bone. And athletes tell me, maybe you too, say, man, when that bone is reset, sometimes it's stronger than yeah. when it was before it was broken. Yeah. And so God is resetting our lives. And you may think that your life is broken. I'm telling you, it's just being reset. Don't fear. Don't fret that God's perfect will is still active in your life. Terrell Fletcher, thank you, sir. Man, Thank I love you, you so much. much. I love you guys. I appreciate it. And listen, you guys get with Dr. Watkins. He can help change your life. Catch up with him. Yeah. All right. God bless you. All right.